All right, Team Pella, listen up. Thanks, John Kuhn. Customers love our products with limited lifetime warranties. Check out these big plays. Incredible innovations like blinds and shades between the glass. No interference on that play, Coach. And stylish windows with hidden screens that make game days a breeze. Can it get any better? It can. With monthly payments as low as $19 per window, $75 per patio door, and a free quote at PellaWI.com. Let's go. 6.99 Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us on a Friday afternoon. Enjoy the weather right now because everything's going to go to you-know-where pretty quickly. There's a cold front moving through, and the temperatures are supposed to be in the 50s by this evening. And then if you look over the weekend, it's supposed to be in the 40s. And by the early part of next week, if you're one of those people who trick-or-treats on Halloween itself, October 31st, uh, they're saying it might be even into the 30s. So, the, well, welcome to Wisconsin in late fall. We've got an interesting program. We've got some serious stuff that we're going to be talking about. We've got some less serious stuff. We've got some Halloween-related things. And, of course, we've got Pop Culture Corner. All that is coming up. Um, haven't had a chance to check in with U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin. Haven't had a chance to talk to him in a while. So he's scheduled to join us in about 20 minutes or so. And... um even though the, the U.S. Senate has not been the focus uh, of a lot of the craziness that has been going on in D.C., I think there's a lot of legislation, a lot of things that are on the table now, and I want a chance to talk to Senator Johnson about that. And like I say, he's scheduled to join us in about 20 minutes or so. So how about those bucks? Um, I, 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 I got to admit, I probably like college basketball better than I like NBA basketball, at least in, in the regular season, only because there's a limited number of college games, and, and each one has th- this huge import to it. A lot of times over the course of an 82-game schedule, you'll have teams that, well, they, they'll mail it in. They'll rest players, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I like the intensity. I think even though the quality of basketball is a lot better in the NBA with the players, I, I like the intensity of college basketball, which isn't to say I don't like the NBA. And I think the NBA playoffs are just absolutely amazing. So I, I did something last night that I rarely do, and it's a testament to the game. I, I, I watched the Bucks game from beginning to end. Normally what will happen is if there's a pro basketball game on during the regular season – I'll, I'll check in. Hey, how, how's this doing? Maybe I'll watch a few minutes here or there. Maybe I'll tune in for the last five minutes of the game. But I admit I was completely and totally riveted by the Bucks opening night game. And for everybody who hasn't been following that, the Bucks, um, they won 118 to 117 over the Philadelphia 76ers. And it was a really interesting game. Philadelphia 76ers are a very, very good team. And they were hot last night. Um, I don't know if it was a lack of Bucks defense or if it was just how good the 76ers were, but they were they were taking all these three point shots and everything was going in. I mean, it just I'd have to look back and see how many of them these the three point shots they made. But it seemed like every time they took one of those shots, boom, it, it went in. The Bucks had built a 19 point lead. Philadelphia came back, took the lead. They were ahead by like six or eight points with a few minutes left in the game, and then the Bucks roared back and and won. And as I was watching the game, it was. 
I would say it was not Giannis's finest game. Um, what happened is every time you now he scored 23, 24, 25 points, whatever he did, which which is good, lots of rebounds. But a, a lot of times he would, for example, get close to the basket and three or four people would would come to him and he, he turned the ball over a lot. They would just kind of swarm on him and it, it sort of became a, a problem. In addition, if the Bucks are going to win the NBA championship, he's just got to shoot better with free throws. At one point in time, I think he had made like three out of ten or something like that. It was it was almost kind of painful to watch. It always kind of raises these questions. If you are if you're a professional basketball player, I never understood how Shaquille O'Neal couldn't shoot free throws either. I mean, that's that is the one thing that you can practice, and you have the best teachers in the world, and you have this incredible athletic skill. I mean, I just I don't understand why anybody who can play in the NBA can't shoot at least seven out of ten. Just just don't get it. But he was struggling last night, and I I think it's one of these chain reactions. But the real takeaway for the game was the Bucks' new acquisition, Damian Lillard. Oh my goodness gracious. 39 points, and there were two periods in the game where he just absolutely took it over, and it was just, it was kind of amazing to watch. It was like, get out of the way. He's throwing up three-point shots from all over. He's like, he's 30-some years old, but he's driving past people like they're statues. He was 17 for 17 from the free-throw line, and I I don't think there's any question. If if Damian Lillard isn't, isn't playing at that level last night, the Bucks probably end up losing. And all I kept thinking was, boy, as the season goes on and he becomes more comfortable in in his role with the Bucks, and let, let's face it, it's Giannis's, Giannis's team. And I, and I, but as he as Lillard becomes more familiar with that role and starts to take over games more, I'm not sure that there's anybody that can beat the Bucks. I mean, in all seriousness, when those guys, and I, I mean, and they really haven't played together for very long, I can imagine, you know, what this team is going to look like, assuming nobody gets hurt, what this team is going to look like in, in January and February after they've had a few months together. But it was, and, and the fans loved it. It was a close game, maybe closer than it should, but I don't want to take anything away from Philadelphia. But it was really an exciting period of time, something really exciting to watch. It really makes you think as the season goes on, how good can this team be? And candidly, my reaction is to think that the sky is the limit. So Bucks and Six, right? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. I am so very glad to have you spending your Friday afternoon with me. A lot of people, of course, listen to spoken word radio over the radio, whether you get us through streaming or whether you get us through what we call terrestrial radio, you know, the uh, the AM signals. More on that conversation coming up in the one o'clock hour of the program. But in addition, if you like to watch us, we've now got cameras up all over and you can do that by going to WTMJ.com, hitting the watch live button and you can See how those of us you listen to dress on a given day or go to uh, YouTube. We've got our own YouTube channel. Just put in WTMJ and it will take you to the channel and you can watch how this goes on. So we love that as well. Um, finally, some common sense. And I, I want to we, we criticize politicians for doing like dumb things when politicians come up and do. Well, I, I think, say, the smart, common sense stuff. I think they deserve to be called out and applauded for this. 
Now, let's back up a step. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I'm not a fan of the streetcar system, the thing that they call the hop. I think it was a huge waste of money. And the only thing dumber than spending $130 million to build the hop would be to spend 250 or $500 million or whatever to expand the hop. If you want to provide more transit options in downtown Milwaukee, go to rubber-tired buses or something like that. Well, anyhow... As we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, what happened is the city got a grant from the federal government that will allow them to run a streetcar line from the bus depot, the intermodal station, down to the Couture, which is on, on the lakefront. It used to be a parking lot way back in the day when I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office. I used to, you, could, you could park your car for like two bucks a day. That's where I used to park my car and, and walk before I had enough money to get a parking space that was a little bit closer. But so the idea is, okay, we've got the streetcar line that's going to go down to the the lakefront. I would argue that that makes no sense in general, that there's not going to be enough business. But the argument is, well, you're going to have the couture that's down there, and there's going to be people who are going to be living at the couture, and there's going to be people who want to go down and shop there. So it, it makes sense to do this. Okay. Reasonable people can perhaps disagree. I'm willing to concede that. But right now, the couture is still under construction. The, the couture is not going to essentially be open until April of next year at the earliest. So there's nothing down there right now. In addition to that, while there might be some desire for people to go down to the lakefront at some point in time, That point in time isn't in November and December and January and February and March. So any argument that you can make saying, hey, if we run the streetcar and we take it down to the lakefront because people want to go to the ethnic festivals or they want to go to Summerfest or there's a concert on the Summerfest grounds and it's an easy way to get there. Any argument you could make that would justify that does not come into play in November and December and January and February. There's just nothing going on. So there's no, the couture isn't open. There's nothing going on at the lakefront. And yet, the people that run the hop are going to start to run service from the bus depot down to the lakefront on Sundays and Sundays only through the winter. Now, you might say, Jeff, why would anybody do that? I mean, you're, you're going to take the hop down to a construction site, and there's actually even, I think, some safety concerns with where it dumps you off because it's dumping you off in the middle of a construction site. Why, why would anybody do that? And the answer is nobody will, but they're going to spend the money to do it. Why? Because as a condition of getting the federal grant, they had to, the city had to agree that the line would be operating by the end of October. That was one of the conditions of the grant. So what they're doing is even though even though there's nothing going on, there's no reason to go down there, as a condition of the grant, it had to be open. So they're going to run this once a week. They're going to run the trolley down there once a week, even though nobody's going to be on it because, again, they promised to do that with the grant. Now, in a rational world, okay, in a rational world, how would this be handled? Well, in a rational world, I don't know, the people in Milwaukee would go to the Department of Transportation, you know, the people who authorized the grant, and say, the trolley line is done, right? We've got it done, but the places we're connecting to, they're not finished yet, and they're not going to be finished for six or seven months. But here, you can come see, the trolley line is done, we, we've got it ready to go, but there's nothing it goes to now. So, 
here, why don't you just give us another six months? We'll start full operation once the weather turns better, once the couture opens up. We've we've done everything we need to do with the grant. We've got the thing up. It's ready to run. It's just there's nowhere for it to go. And it makes no sense to just run run the streetcar down to a construction site and back just to prove that, okay, it's finished. Right now, this this makes sense. But of course, nobody at the city is willing to do this. Nobody at the federal government is willing to reach out to do this. Into this comes Brian Style, who represents you know the Racine Kenosha area. And, and Style, he says he, he's going public with this, recognizing the insanity, and he is calling on the Department of Transportation to waive the federal grant requirement regarding the, the streetcar. Um, his point is a. And and maybe it's just great minds think alike. His point is a Sunday only trip to a construction site during the winter in Wisconsin. And he has an exclamation point. I would add is crazy. This is taxpayer money chasing taxpayer money, chasing taxpayer money. And it's your money. And so his point is the Department of Transportation should simply say, look, we, we, we understand. We put in these deadlines because we want to make sure that what's going on is that, you know, the, the money is being spent and it's being, the, the progress is being made on the different developments. And, and that's all well and good. No problem with that at all. But the point is, okay, we finished the streetcar line, but the things that were the justification for the streetcar line in the first place, namely the couture, that, that's not done yet. So instead of, just the ultimate virtue signaling here we've got the streetcar instead of running the trolley to the construction site in the middle of winter at a cost to taxpayers doesn't it simply make more sense for the federal government to say congratulations milwaukee you've completed the streetcar line that's great we understand that it doesn't go anywhere there's nothing that it takes anybody to right now so yeah, we're going to waive this requirement that you be in operating as of the end of October and, you know, we'll come back to us at the end of March or something and we'll 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 look to plan for a regular opening. But instead because this is the government and because it's other people's money, by other people's money I mean it's our money, it's taxpayers' money. Well, no, the requirement says it has to be running by October 31st. So even if it makes no sense, we're going to go ahead and do it. I, I give Congressman Style credit because he's saying, "Wait a second here. Let's Let's have some common sense thinking about this and let's waive this requirement. And then let's let's April 1st rolls around or whatever. Let's get this thing rolling when there's a chance that there might even be some ridership, because you want to talk about the the riders that are challenged on the hop to begin with. Okay, who in their right mind is going to ride from the bus depot down to the lakefront in November or December or January, February, March. So kudos to Congressman Style for saying publicly what a lot of us have been saying for quite a while now. This makes absolutely no sense. Just suspend the deadline. Let's come back in April and let's be smart about it. That's what you would do if this was your business, if this was your money. But because it's not, it's not the way the government operates. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. We are back. Well, we live in interesting times. Lots of stuff going on in the world, and it's been a while since we've checked in with the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, how are you doing? I am well, thank you. Um, interesting times in D.C. and across the world, huh? 
I would say perilous times. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're interesting. Too too interesting for my my liking. Okay, Senator, let's let's start. Let's talk about the the, the middle the, the mid east. Um, and I guess there, there's many sort of questions here, but but let, let's start with the question of what what should the U.S.'s role be in supporting Israel? And I understand that that's a big question. You can take it wherever you want. Well, first, recognize the root cause. And, and right now, the root cause is Iran. And the Obama administration and now the Biden administration have coddled Iran, uh, funneled hundreds of billions of dollars into not their economy, primarily their, their military. They use that money to uh, to fund and direct groups like Hamas and Hezbollah and the Shiite militias that are now attacking U.S. troops. Um, if, if America... if the same number of Americans were slaughtered, I mean brutally slaughtered, as what happened uh, on October 7th in Israel. 1,400 Israelis lost their lives. That, that would be equivalent to about 50,000 Americans. Uh, you can imagine what America uh, and what Americans would require of our government and military to eliminate that threat so it would never happen again. And that's what Israel has to do, and what America's role ought to be is to support Israel in its right to defend itself and eliminate the threat of Hamas. And it's going to be awful. It's going to be messy. But, you know, we, we, would, do, we, we would demand mm-hmm. that our government and our military do exactly what Israel is going to have to do. So I assume you will be on board when legislation fi- ultimately comes to, to the Senate providing um, a large amount of, of aid to Israel. Yes, and it's really not going to be, you know, in the scheme of things, that large an amount. Uh, right now, what uh, the administration proposed, about $14 billion in their uh, overall package, uh, that apparently is what Israel requested. Um, but I don't think that should be packaged with anything else. The, anything else we put in that bill, and what the president's done is there's more controversial aspects to that. So support for Israel is, is widespread. It's bipartisan. It's, it's almost unanimous except for the squad. Um, why don't we pass that and make sure that uh, Israel gets the support it needs? Let's not uh, hold that hostage for less uh, popular spending. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about Ukraine in just a second. But before we leave the topic of the Middle East, I, I agree completely with what you said about uh, this is a lot of what is going on now has been fostered by by Iran and, and and the agitation. What long range? What should the government? What should our government be doing? Because my my sense is there's a lot of the countries in the Middle East that they, there's no love lost for Iran either. Well, first of all, recognize reality. You know, it drove me nuts when Obama was negotiating that nuclear deal. Iran was never going to give up their nuclear ambitions. Uh, they were always going to uh, secretly pursue those, uh, pursue the missile technology, and that's exactly what they've done. So, you know, recognize reality, recognize the malign force that Iran is. What I think the U.S. should have done is, at least initially, quietly, I would have supplied Israel with all the uh, bunker-busting bombs that they would need and the refueling tankers to be able to deliver those uh, bunker-busting bombs uh, if they perceived an existential threat to Iran. I would have done that. I would have done that very quietly. I would have given them everything they needed. Then I would have announced it to the world, but primarily to Iran, as a really large warning to deter Iran from becoming a nuclear power. That's what I would have done. But we haven't done that. It doesn't look like we're going to do that. Instead, we've got this mess on our hands because of the weakness 
of the Biden administration, of the Obama administration, and how they their policies across the board have weakened America. When, when America is weak, the world is a far more dangerous place, and we're living in that dangerous place right now. To, to that point, we're talking to the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. To, to that point, Senator, between October 7th and October 24th, there were 21 American troops who were injured by drones, drone and rocket strikes in Iraq and, and three in Syria by Iran-backed militia groups. And um, what, what's happened is the, the U.S. has now done some airstrikes on some of the Iran-backed facilities. Are, are you in favor of continuing this policy if these attacks continue? Yeah, if, if American troops are attacked, we absolutely must respond. We probably should have responded quicker. Uh, I, I was more than disappointed that the administration kind of kept those, uh, bad, those attacks and those injuries a secret uh, we didn't hear about that right away, did we? Uh, so, no, we, we absolutely have to protect the men and women, uh, the finest among us, that are in harm's way. We, we can't let Iran and, and their proxies get away with that. As a practical matter, Senator, um, it, it appears at least that the, the public reports are that um, Israel has been holding off a full-scale ground invasion of, of Gaza um, at the request of the United States and maybe United Nations in, in an effort to try to negotiate the release of, of the hostages and things like that. Is a ground invasion inevitable? Well, that's certainly what is Israel is telling us. Uh, I think we need to leave it up to Israel to do what it believes it needs to do. I really don't want America interfering with that. Um, now, I listened to General's brief us, and you know, I think they are being given some pretty good advice, but it should only be advice. It shouldn't be pressure. Um, and I, I do fear that uh, the Biden administration may be pressuring Israel to delay their response, which would put more Israeli soldiers at risk as Hamas hardens its defenses as a result of the time being given it. So, again, I want Israel to direct this. I don't want them hampered by Biden administration demands. Senator, one of the things I think has been, at least in this country, one of the things that I found very, very disappointing over the last couple weeks has been the the anti-Semitism that's just emerged, whether it's on college campuses or whatever, the the a lot of the the, I'm going to describe as the pro-Palestinian stuff talking about how, okay, well, this is all Israel's fault and things like that. I I found it, I guess, personally, just very, very disappointing that that that's what some people view about this conflict, especially given the attacks that resulted in 200 hostages, including some Americans being taken and the deaths of so many people. I find it way more than disappointing. I think it's just utterly disgusting. But uh, I, I hope more Americans' eyes are being opened up to the indoctrination that's occurring at, at our institutions of higher learning. And, you, Jeff, you probably heard me talk about this in the past. The master stroke of the radical left was taking over our university systems in the 60s. And as a result, they've been graduating teachers for K-12, through who you know, far too many of them are indoctrinating our children into things like identity politics, critical race theory, and then... Once they get to the university, the radical leftists, the, the adult uh, professors, it's just the icing on the cake. It's, it's the whipped cream and cherry 
on the K-12 indoctrination, and now we're seeing the results. I think it's utterly disgusting, and I hope America is watching, and I hope we do something about it. Senator, you were talking earlier about the, you support the Israel package, and you believe it should come to it should come to Congress as a as a standalone package without having other things lumped into it. One of those other things would be increased funding for Ukraine. Where where are you Where are you on continued support for Ukraine? Well, again, we need to recognize reality. The other elements of that bill don't have the support that uh, you know the universal support that uh, uh, the funding for Israel has. I mean, the fact of the matter is the, the president is asking for $14 billion not to secure the border, to pay for more rapid processing, dispersing of more illegal immigrants. It will incentivize more illegal immigrants. Plus, I think people made the legitimate point that the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress are far more concerned about Ukrainian border security than we are you know, with the crisis occurring on our southwest border. So there will be a very determined attempt to attach any funding for Ukraine attached to it real border security that is going to you know, dramatically decrease uh, illegal immigration, and that's going to be a fight. And so we don't want to, I don't want to hold support for uh, Israel hostage to that fight that will occur. There's no way you're going to avoid that, uh, certainly not in the House, and I would say uh, probably not in the Senate either. So let's support Israel, and then we can start talking about uh, Ukraine and border security. Um. The war in Ukraine, and I know this is something that you've been, you know, following closely in your various roles in Washington. Is is it in the United States' interest to continue to support Ukraine as they resist the Russian invasion? Very complex issue. Uh, I think we all support the Ukrainian people, that their courage defending their homeland against the evil that is the, the war criminal Vladimir Putin. So I, we all agree on that. You know, the, the problem is, I think we could have deterred the invasion, but, you know, the weakness of the Biden administration encouraged it. I think there might have been a point in time. I was hoping, which is why I first supported the first $40 billion to replenish our own stockpile that had been depleted, but also a strong signal to Putin to say, listen, you didn't, you didn't succeed. Stop, okay? Now, I, I met with Zelensky. I was at his inauguration. He wanted peace. He wanted to do a peace deal. I don't know what's quite happened since then, but what I do know is, again, the reality situation, Putin's not going to lose that war. Losing the war is existential to him. He has 7,000 nuclear weapons, tactical nuclear weapons. Uh, Ukraine can't do what it would need to do to win the war. So now we are in a bloody stalemate. It's going to have to end in the settlement. And every day that goes by with that war going on, more Ukrainians die, soldiers, civilians, more Russian conscripts die. I, I take no joy in that. And more of Ukraine is destroyed. So it's about time that Zelensky and the Biden administration realize that the, they don't have a blank check. Uh, time's running out. Time to sit down and try and end that war. And again, I, I, I take no joy in, in recognizing that reality, but we have to recognize that reality. This war's got to end the sooner the better. Uh, Senator, let's switch gears. Let's talk a little bit about domestic issues. The, um, the, the government runs out of money again in, in a few weeks. What's... Um, what, what is going to happen? Is it continuing appropriations? Where does this go? Of course, things have been very much in limbo because of what's been going on in the House of Representatives. But now that there is a speaker moving forward, are we going to have a government shutdown? So, Jeff, you know, I, you're probably aware of the fact that when I was chairman of Homeland Security, I passed a bill preventing government shutdown act, prevented all future shutdowns. Uh, every Democrat on my committee voted for that. 
Um, so we finally got a vote on that last week in the Senate. Every Republican voted for it, except for, I think, Rand Paul, because he wanted to actually cut spending. We had nine Democrats join us. One Democrat that did not join, did not vote to end all future government shutdowns, to prevent them, was Senator Tammy Baldwin. So the problem is Democrats know that the press is always going to blame Republicans for shutdowns, so they're happy to play the game. And that's what it is. They're playing the game with people's lives, shutting down the government, disrupting things, causing government to cost more. Republicans wanted to end that game. It's ridiculous to be threatening these shutdowns. We could have ended that for all time, including the, the you know, threatened shutdown coming up. But Democrats in the Senate, including Senator Tammy Baldwin, voted no to prevent future government shutdowns. So, yeah, that's a risk. Now, the good news is uh, Speaker uh, Johnson has indicated that he, he would be for a longer-term CR so that they can bring up these appropriation bills in smaller tranches so that we can give the spending greater scrutiny. I've, I've been supporting this, so... Uh, hopefully we'll do a CR that gets us to what he's suggesting April 15th. I'd completely support that. Hopefully a clean CR, get that done, go to work, start passing these appropriation bills. Uh, you know, defense by itself, we're working on a three-bill minibus right now in the Senate. We've been you know, fooling around with that one for weeks. So it's not exactly like the three-week shutdown in the House you know, deterred the Senate from not doing anything. We, you know, we've been twiddling our thumbs as well. So uh, now it's time to get to work, start passing these bills, give them the scrutiny. Uh, pass that uh, CR that takes us into April, and then once we've done that, start appropriating for fiscal year 2025 so we're not back here in, uh, next October in the same situation. Senator, have you, been, um, have you been as frustrated as many of us were over what was going on in the House over the course of the last few weeks with the, the Speaker deposed, Speaker McCarthy deposed, and then an inability to, to reach an agreement on, on his replacement? Probably not, because I've been working with uh, House conservatives since literally January. We're, we're the ones that really got us by the debt ceiling impasse. Uh, we got us by, quite honestly, the last shutdown impasse. So we've been working with the House members. I, I knew they would you know, end the acrimony and they'd come up with a consensus uh, pick. And quite honestly, it looks like they came up with some you know, really an extraordinary individual. Some, Mike Johnson, everybody likes him. Man of faith, fiscal conservative. Uh, I'm, I've got great expectations for the new speaker. And, and like I said, it wasn't like uh, the Senate was a rocket docket. We, we didn't do, you know, diddly squat over the last three weeks. So um, um, now, now it's time to get to work. Senator, let me, let me ask you a horse race question. Um, as we're, we're finally getting to that stage where the presidential primaries and the caucuses are going to start, you want to you want to handicap the Republican race for me? Well, I mean, that's pretty easy to handicap you look at the polls and right now president trump has a you know almost an insurmountable lead but you know a, a year is a long time in politics so who knows what might happen um interesting senator johnson thanks so much for taking some time and joining us this afternoon it is always a pleasure take care stay well yeah you as well thank you that's uh that Bye. is um that is ron johnson the senior senator from the state of wisconsin and i i i remember he was one of a guest on the program when he first kind of announced that he was going to run against Russ Feingold, you know, three elections ago, over 18 years ago. And I can remember the reaction back then. It, it's always, um, it, it was like, who, who is he? Nobody can beat Ron Johnson. Um, no, Ron Johnson, who is he? He certainly can't beat Russ Feingold. And, and he did. I remember that first series of ads, the first election, 
Ron Johnson ran, I think, some of the most compelling political ads that I've ever seen. And it wasn't the, it wasn't the, oh, so-and-so wants to kill babies or so-and-so wants to do this. It was, it was his chalkboard ads where it was like, oh, the, the U.S. Senate has X numbers of lawyers and X of this and X of that, like zero businessmen. It was just in, incredibly compelling. And I, I think, you know, he, it, it ended up getting him elected in, um, what, well, I guess he called it 2010 and then, 2016, it was the same sort of thing. Oh, when Russ Feingold ran to get a seat back. Oh, there's no way that Ron Johnson can beat Russ Feingold. And, and, and Senator Johnson did. One of the, I remember that election night. I, I first became convinced that, hey, Donald Trump was probably going to be the real thing because I was watching the Ron Johnson numbers. Now, Ron Johnson outperformed Donald Trump in Wisconsin, but, um, he, you know, Johnson had coattails and I think that helped, uh, I think that helped Donald Trump a lot win the presidency in 2016, and then 2022, nobody thought that Ron Johnson was going to win, and and he did. All right, let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. What I really want to talk to Senator Johnson about is where we started the interview off with the the U.S., who has, which has finally said enough is enough when it comes to Iran and after drone attacks sponsored by Iran on U.S. bases in, in Syria, you know, we, we've, we've responded and we started to take out some of these military operations. And that's, that's what I, I think that is long overdue. And I think one of the, I have, when it comes to Biden's foreign policy, and I, I think Joe Biden's been a disaster as president on many levels, but I, I think Candidly, the the approach he's had to Russia's invasion in Ukraine, one of, okay, let's let's be moderate here. We want to support Ukraine, but we don't want to escalate. I I think that's been the right approach to take. I don't think there's any question over the last couple years that the administration's policy with regard to Iran, which has essentially been we can negotiate with these crazy people. And, you know, if we're nice to them, they will be nice to everybody else. That's been an abject failure, and I think it's pretty apparent to that. I mean, what you have is you have this country that is the the ultimate in a rogue nation, which is bent on – well, first of all, it's bent on destroying Israel, and secondly, it would like nothing better than to destroy America, the the great Satan. And you're going to try to rationalize these people. I mean, again, if you look at the country – the country surrounding Iran, they, they all want nothing to do with Iran either because they recognize that Iran poses threats to all their governments as well. So I think by thinking that, OK, we can make nice to Iran and we can release six billion dollars in, you know, uh, in oil money that's been tied up and and they'll be nice to us and they'll like us. That's just just crazy. And I think the response does have to be, OK, if you're going to orchestrate attacks on American troops and you're going to bomb American bases and things like that. Um, just to understand that we are not going to take that. And, you know, uh, you had Barack Obama who talked about drawing red lines. And then when the lines were crossed, he didn't do anything about it. I, I hope hopefully Biden will take a different approach to that. I think it's it's way past time to recognize that if you want any sort of long term peace in the Middle East, you, you have to defang Iran. And if that means okay, taking out some military bases that are attacking American troops, so be it. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Man, don't mess with Taylor Swift. That that's kind of the that, that that's kind of the lesson here. If, for those who haven't been following it, Taylor Swift, who is of course Taylor Swift, who is of course you know the 
ultimate, you know, pop star. Pro, uh, right at this point in time, obviously the most successful pop artist, uh, artist, musical artist in, in the world. When you look at the sold out tours and stuff, for for people who have been following this, her. She was involved in a really messy dispute with her former manager and record label uh, a couple years back. And what happened is the former uh, manager, what he had done is he had gotten ownership rights of the master recordings for her first six albums. And what he had done is he had sold those rights. And so um, she was very, very upset with that. And and her financial compensation on this was, uh, um, you know, she ended up getting paid for the rights, but she, she'd lost control of the music and it was against her will. So what she started doing is she's saying, OK, I, if you know, if somebody buys my second album, 1989, I don't get paid for that right now. But here's what I can do. I can re-record that. So what she's been doing is re-recording her old albums. She has the right to do that and then putting them out. So, yes, this was her second album, but now, you know, she's singing the same songs, same order. Maybe there's a little different arrangements or whatever, and she's selling them and she owns that rights. Well, yesterday she dropped um, 1989, which was the the, the um, actually that's um, that's the date of her birth. And so, you know, that that's why, you know, that came out like that. But she dropped it yesterday. This is the second of her old albums that she has released in a new form. You know, she just recreated them. And my guess is that this is going to completely and totally, again, take over, take over the, the streaming world, you know, and the push is going to be, okay, buy this, don't buy the original album, and Taylor Swift ends up getting paid for it. I'm just telling you, the lesson here on so many levels is, you know, don't, don't mess with Taylor Swift because she's popular, she's smart, and, you know, she knows how to take care of herself. When we come back, I want to talk about flu shots. I want to talk about haunted houses. I want to talk about driverless cars and a lot more. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It's sort of interesting. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us. As, as, as you kind of look ahead, and I recognize that I'm going to be leaving the show, people know that, December 15th, the last show, you kind of start thinking about, okay, ways that you want to start to begin to wrap up the program. What's the last song I want to play before I turn it over to Wisconsin's afternoon news? I've been thinking about that for a while, thinking about things like, like maybe the last pop culture corner, which will be that Friday afternoon. And I don't know, maybe there was something I was listening to over the last, you know, few minutes. But it's like, what, what do you think? Maybe like the most annoying commercial. You know, how, we could do that as the last kind of show. That's the pop culture show. That that commercial, radio or TV, that just drives you absolutely bonkers. You know, no limits at all. You know, I, I'm, just, I'm kind of thinking about that. I'm thinking about kind of the, you wind it down. What are some of the last things? All right. I want to get your reaction to this situation. So here's the story. Um, Colorado. It's a court case that comes from Colorado. In late 2020, there's a Colorado welding company. It's called JMF Enterprises. doesn't make any difference what's name, but this is a welding company. They subcontract with a company called Fired Up Fabrication. And fired up fabrication is like a metal fabricator. Okay, so late 2020, JMF subcontracts with fired up on a job that they're doing in Trinidad, Colorado. 
All right. Between December and 2020 and March of 2021, Fired Up, the subcontractor, fabricates metal handrails and stairs and then delivers them to this, this JMF Enterprises, which then installs them for the client. All right. Even though JMF had agreed to give Fired Up all the materials necessary to make the handrails and stairs, the company failed to do so. So Fired Up had to go out and they had to get the materials themselves, and they were supposed to be provided by the company. After the work was done, Fired Up, the subcontractor, goes to JMF and says, look, um, you owe us this money. You owe us money. Pay us up. And um, according to the lawsuit that was filed, JMF made partial payment through November of 2021, and after that, it ignored the invoices. So they were stiffing the subcontractor. In June of 2022, Fired Up sued, alleging breach of contract. Okay, you know, so, so far it's kind of this routine thing. The case worked its way through the judicial system for more than a year, and then in late July of this year, the company said, okay, we're going to settle. And in the agreement, JMF promised to pay $23,500 by August 24th. Okay, so that's the deal. Business dispute, and they've reached a settlement, and the settlement agreement amount is $23,500. All right, so um, they had not been paid by August 16th. So there's like another week. The lawyer for Fired Up, the people that are owed the money, sends the attorney for JMF a note with instructions for payment including how to deliver the check and whom the company should pay. All right, so this is this is it. You owe us this money. You know, this is where we should put, provide the check, and this is how she should do it. All right, so that that's the background, 23-5. On August 28th, a delivery driver contacts the lawyer for, for Fired Up, the subcontractor, and says that um, he's trying to deliver the settlement payment. The settlement payment is a metal box that weighs more than 6,500 pounds. The driver, the delivery driver, says to the lawyer he can't get the container up to her office because it's too heavy for the freight elevator. I can't bring the payment because it's too um, it's too heavy for the freight elevator. So um, the lawyer calls the lawyer for the company, and it finds out that the company wants to pay with loose coins. The company had ordered the coins from a bank. They had originally been neatly marked and packed in boxes. Someone at JMF, the principal company, unpacked the coins, dumped them into a container along with their wrappings. So this is $23,500 in pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters. Like I say, it weighs over 6,500 pounds, and they want to deliver this, and they want the people to accept payment on this. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. The lawyer for the company that was owed this money says, this is BS. Actually, probably something else, but this we're not accepting this. You know, we, we want a check we want a money order. We're not taking $23,500 in coins, which weigh more than 6,500 pounds. So they're refusing that. And they're saying, you know, we have the right to be paid in something other than this. We want a check. We want a money order. We're not accepting the coins. Pay up the money you owe us. 
855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. All right. Does the company, do, do they have a right? Do they, does the one company have a right? Hey, we owe you $23,500. Here, we're going to give it to you in coins, and we're going to make it as inconvenient as possible. Does the other company have to accept that? Or should they be able to say, look, this is unreasonable. We want a check in order to try to... Who's even going to be able to count $23,500 in coins? It might take us more time to count it than, you know, we might have to spend $23,000 just in trying to count it. All right, should they have to accept payment in this fashion? 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss. 855-616-1620. Okay, so that's the scenario. If you're just tuning in, company... Sues another company, says it stiffed them on money they're owed. So they reach a settlement. The settlement is for $23,500. Instead of writing a check, what happens is a delivery driver shows up with six with $23,500 in pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters. It weighs over 6,500 pounds. What the settling company had done is they had gone to the bank. They'd ordered $23,000 and $23,500 in coins. They'd apparently taken the time to unwrap them and just pile them in some giant container and delivered them. It's so heavy that they can't even fit in the freight elevator to take it up to the attorney's office. The attorney says, no, we are not accepting this. you got to give us a check. All right, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Bill and Racine. Bill, you're first. Hello. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Jeff, did you know John Belogic, Racine County? Uh, no, not off the top of my head, nope. Well, he's a court commissioner and did stuff, family commissioner and stuff. I worked with him a few times, and his favorite statement was, according to the black letter of the law, this is true, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, guess, I think according to the black letter of the law, they were paid in full. Do they have do they have no right in your opinion do they have no right to choose the currency so for example if you use the word black yeah sometimes law is ugly sometimes it's dark but according to the, according to him according to the black letter of the law they were offered payment in full okay thanks the call uh, that's I, I'm just getting trying to get the impression of what people think now again because keep in mind I mean this Look, this is an extreme issue, but you have you have businesses, for example, that won't take cash, right? You know, it, it's it's credit card only. So, I mean, the, the cash is no good. They refuse to accept that. Try to pay for cash for something at American Family Field or at most of the stands at Pfizer. They're not going to accept that. Should businesses have a right to be able to do that? If you show up, let's say your property taxes are $5,000 and you show up with $5,000 in pennies, my guess is the clerk courts are not going to accept that. Should they have to? Let's talk to Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. How Hi. are you? I'm good. What do you think? I'm driving around right now with two Ziploc bags and a uh, candy container of coins. Right. Because you have to pay to get the coins cash in, number one. And this is so unprofessional. It, it, it's just a joke. I mean, you they, they can't write them a check or give them installment payments or... No, it, it's, I mean, it, no, it's clearly, it is clearly their, their, um, 
They it's they are clearly saying, you know, to, to heck with you or something else in doing this. They're trying to make this yeah. as painful and as inconvenient as possible. And, and actually, what the company that got the checks it, but it, it, just to your point, I mean, just to sort out $23,500 in coins, they're going to have to spend thousands of dollars separating these, et, et cetera, if they can even find a place that's going to count them, that, this. And they're saying, well, you know. I, yeah. I'm driving around with all this like you know, like you 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 save your change. Yeah. Well, I I don't even know where to take it. If I take it, half the banks don't do it. Right. And then otherwise you have to pay for it. Right. So, oh no, I. Know, it, it, I get it. No, thanks for calling. No, I mean, I, look, I you know, I've done topics on this before. I'm less so now. But I used to, I used to have big jars of change, and, and we, we still, when I, when I get home at the end of the day, I take change out of my pocket. But because you pay for more and more stuff with credit cards, there, there's less change. But I will put it in a thing, and I mean, I used to be able, I'd, I'd amass these these large jars, um, these large jars, uh, jars of change, and you take them to the bank, and you just hear them dump them in, and then you'd find out, oh, this one had three or four hundred bucks, and this one had four or five hundred dollars, and it, it it paid for. It paid to help underwrite some of my gambling expenses on trips to Las Vegas and things like that. But you're exactly right. Most of the banks don't do that anymore. Jeff, did they declare ahead of time that they would not accept a coin payment? If not, well, to whom sent it? Well, either good on you or shame on you. Um, Jeff, uh, right, uh, let's see. Um, This is a throwback to the 70s and 80s. When people would try to pay their child support in pennies, they would show up at the courthouse to make a payment. And finally, the clerk of courts enacted the policy that ended up stopping this. Uh, Jeff, the bottom line is the payment couldn't be delivered because they couldn't get it to the office. They didn't refuse payment. The other company couldn't deliver to them because it was too heavy. I think they need a new avenue of payment. Well, it's interesting because what happened is uh, the... The, the people that refused to accept this $23,500 in coins, what they did is they went back to the, the judge. And the attorney for the company said, this manner of payment is a symbolic middle finger to the plaintiff and its business, plaintiff's counsel, and indeed our, ju- our system of justice. Now, the company that did this said, all paying in coins is not an attempt to harass or frustrate their owners, but since they're both welding companies, it's a reference to their shared career field. Um, right. <laughs> right. Um, I, I don't think that that's going very far on that. So in any event, what ended up happening is the judge has to look at this and the judge not amused with their decision. He ordered JMF to pay the $23,500 within two weeks. He specified the company must do so by check, cashier's check, or some other way, as long as it's agreeable to fired up. So now, this is one of those things where you're too clever by half. I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, I can't believe these people sued us. You know, we're going to teach them. Here, we'll have the $23,500. We'll take this out of our account. So now, not only have you not been able to Use this to discharge your debt, but now you've got a judge saying you've got to come up with twenty three five in a check, which means you got to figure out a way to take this twenty three thousand five hundred dollars in coins that you took out of the wrappings. Now it's your burden to figure out how you're going to get that back into your bank account. I guess this is one where you know, regardless of how you feel about the legal tender and stuff like that, it's one of these examples where sometimes if you're just if you're going to be a jerk, and that's what they were being, they were being a jerk. If you're going to be a jerk, sometimes you get your comeuppance. So me, not sorry about this at all. 6,500 pounds. Wow. 
Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. One of our textures makes an interesting point. You know, once word of this gets out, who would want to do business with this company in the first place? I mean, that, that's, that, that's also one of the things. Maybe you think you're clever here. I'm going to pay them off in the coins and stuff. But first of all, the reason you're in court is because you stiffed a subcontractor. I mean, you, you owed them money that you refused to pay in a timely fashion. So that's not very good. And then once they took you to court, once they, in this case, they got a settlement, you agreed to pay them, this is how you chose to do it. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm a metal fabricator, there's no way I'm dealing doing business with this company because it sounds like they're a bunch of jerks. If this is, first of all, they slow pay, they no pay, and then when they're finally forced to it, their back's against the wall, this is the kind of stuff they do. As far as I'm concerned, it's kind of like, okay, maybe maybe we need to find another business operation. Okay, I am curious as to where you are. And this is a legitimate question that I have. Over the course, well, of the last couple years, more so than in any time, certainly since I've been doing this radio show, we have become collectively skeptical of doctors, skeptical of what we're being told by health professionals, and skeptical of what we're being told by the government. So let's just talk about health professionals for a minute. There is still an ongoing raging debate about whether or not the COVID vaccines were rushed, whether or not people should have been encouraged to get COVID vaccines, whether or not there's going to be long-term consequences from them. And there's all that stuff out there. And I, I don't... I don't know that you're ever going to be able to convince anybody's mind one way or the other. The people who just were dead set against getting vaccines for COVID remain dead set against getting that. And then there's other people who, you know, had the COVID vaccines. Um, I, I did. I had no no adverse consequences, at least none that I know about thus far. And did it stop me from getting COVID? No, I've gotten COVID twice over the years. But I, I mean, the, the symptoms were very, very mild. So if the stated goal of the vaccine is, well, okay, we can't guarantee that you're not going to get COVID, but you're not going to be as sick, it, it probably worked in that case. But I don't have reactions, for example, to the COVID vaccines. I, and so to me, it, it's if I decide to do it, I'm not worried that there's going to be a reaction. So a couple weeks ago, week, um, well, a week ago last Tuesday, go in for my annual physical, and we, we know the doctor and I have the conversation. He's going through the shots, and he said, okay, well, you're, you're due for your flu shot, and then there's the new COVID shot that's there, and then there's this RSV shot. And so you know, th- those, are, those are out there, um, and my doctor says, I would recommend that you get all three. And I said, well, I'm not sure about this RSV RSV shot. I got I got to think about that. And I said honestly, I am I'm, I'm just not sure about the COVID shot either. I am not necessarily against it, but I want to think about this because I mean I I've had I probably had four. I mean, I had the original two doses and then I think I had a booster and then I think I had another booster and at some point in time I'm kind of like, well, I I don't know, maybe maybe enough is enough, but I I I'm I'm going to think about it. But the one thing I did not think about is I said, okay, I'm going to get the flu shot. I, yeah, give me give me the flu shot. And the nurse comes in and gives me the flu shot right away. And I just, even though they say you can get multiple ones at the same time, last year I got the COVID shot at the same time I got the flu shot. And I don't think that was necessarily the best idea. But I did, I did end up getting the flu shot. This is the time for people to start getting their flu shots. Now, the flu shot varies 
from year to year, depending on what people think the the flu virus might be. So there's a degree of of guessing in that. Um, The big argument, again, with the flu shot is that if you do get sick after um, if you do get the flu after receiving the vaccine, the shot can reduce the severity of your illness. And they also say if you get the shot, there's a chance it could reduce community transmission. So I, I made I, I got the shot, got the flu shot, didn't even think twice about it. And other than my arm being a little bit sore for a day and feeling kind of off kilter a few days later, which typically happens and probably indicates it's working. I, I've I've been I've been fine. So, I mean, I don't have any second regrets, second doubts about that. But I've been talking to a couple other people and I'm saying, you know, I, I got the flu shot. And the reaction I've gotten is. You really got the flu shot? I mean, after everything that's been going on, and I said, yeah, I get the flu shot. I get the flu shot every year. It's, it's To me, it's, it's no big deal because I don't have a reaction to it. And I would say about 50% of the people that I have talked to, this is just in my circle, are saying, and these, these are, in general, really smart people, are saying, you know, we're, we're either not going to get it or we're really on the fence as to whether we're going to get it or not. And the argument is, We've had so many of these shots and so many of these vaccines over the last couple of years, and we're starting to become concerned that they might not be working or there might be long-range consequences or whatever. And, you know, I, I, like I say, a lot of people I know very, very much on the fence as to whether they get it. I also know some people who have had adverse reactions to these shots, and they've just made the definitive decision that they're not getting it again. No more COVID shots, you know, no more RSV shot. They're just they're not getting it because they've had some nasty reactions. That wasn't me. And I went ahead and got the flu shot. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. So cold and flu season is coming. My question is, after everything that's gone on for the last couple of years, are you getting a flu shot? Don't want to talk about the COVID shot right now. That's a different story. Don't want to talk about RSV. That's a different story. But you know, your basic standard old flu shot that they give this time of year, every year, are you reluctant to get it? Are you going to get it? Why or why not? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. One of our textures. How dare you even suggest that somebody out there might not get all the shots that the doctors are recommending? Well, okay, my message to that is, okay, Earth, you know, let's have some reality there. There's lots of people who are very, very conflicted about all this stuff. And some of these things do, in fact, become controversial. And there's people that have had multiple shot COVID shots who are saying never again. There's some people who never got them. But this idea that you can't even have this discussion. Oh, my gosh, you can't even have this discussion. Well, nuts to that. I mean, now, in my case, I right, for this particular situation, I just want to talk about the flu shot, which is the more basic thing. And I guess my question is whether or not all the controversy involving vaccinations and did the COVID vaccinations do what they were promised to do and all this stuff, has that had a spillover effect? And are people reluctant now to get something as basic as the flu shot? Let's start with uh, Katie in Burlington. Hi, Katie. You're in WTMJ. Hi there. I was first offered the flu shot 18 years ago when I was pregnant with my first son, and I refused it then, and I've never gotten one. I work with children, so I'm exposed to a lot of stuff. And I understand that these flu shots, they feel, you know, can't prevent but might minimize. I think that's all in our head. It gives us a false sense of security. I think your best defense is your own body. We have to take care of ourselves 365 days a year. And that is ultimately 
gives your body the the ability to fight off things when you're exposed to them. What is I, I what is your concern about? Like, and I, and I don't disagree. I mean, Katie, obviously, you know, and there's all sorts of things, you know, keeping yourself healthy and doing all these practices. But I guess, what is your objection to getting the flu shot? Wouldn't that be just something else that helps maybe stop you or your kids from getting the flu? I think it might make me feel better in my head, but I really don't think so. I think these variants and that it, it evolves. And I think there are all, sometimes these shots are two or three years behind the latest variant that's out. And I just, another thing, I guess, that plays into the factors, you know, the cold medicines. I've never taken that stuff. And I know people for years who've been buying that stuff. And now they're saying, well, it doesn't really work. Yeah. And I think it ultimately comes down to common sense. These are viruses. There is, you know, there is no real cure-all for anything, no matter if it's a shot or a pill. The ultimate thing you can do is wash your hands and common sense and eat good food. Uh, and, and, yeah, you might get sick. Um, and you deal with it. It's part of being human. I would certainly understand why people who have a compromised immune, who really don't have the ability to build that up, might want to look at every defense possible. Um, but I really, I have serious doubts in the validity of any of this stuff working. Okay. No. Touted and then, you know. Well, thanks for calling. I mean, again, and it's, I mean, like I said, I get the flu shot every year. And I don't say I, I've never gotten the flu, but if I get the flu, I, I will have to say that the, I mean, I, there, were, there were a couple of years when I didn't get the flu shot and I got sick one time and it was one of those deals where I swear first you thought you were going to die and then you thought you, you were afraid you weren't. You know, that was one of the things. And, and I, while I, and so I, I became a regular with getting the flu shot. And I, I will say, I'm not, I can't guarantee you that I've never gotten the flu, but I've never been that sort of deathly sick. So, I mean, I do tend to believe it minimizes that. I mean, the COVID vaccine, I I don't, I mean, it was originally billed as here, this will stop you from getting COVID. Then when that turned out to be not true, then it was, okay, this is going to minimize the symptoms. And I think, you know, that in and of itself is where the value lies if you don't have reactions to this. But I do think it's an individual decision you end up making. I am curious about the flu shot. 855-616-1620. Mary Jo in Pewaukee, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Um, to me, this thing is all about the risk factors. I'm 72, and I have a number of risk factors for all three, uh, COVID, flu, and RSV. So I got them all. Uh, and when I was working, I, t- I got the flu shot. But if I were young and healthy, I, certain- I probably would not get the COVID and RSV um, because it doesn't really stop you from getting it. And if you're young and healthy, honestly, most people who are young and healthy get mild cases and are just fine. Most of the people who are dying are those with risk factors. And if I had a child in school, it's like, well, if we, they used to have chicken pox parties when I was a kid. Right, yeah. You know, that, that you, you everybody's going to get it. Be, get it. Let's get it together. One kid's got it. Let's get everybody in the neighborhood together. Everybody gets it. And so then once you've got it, you're, it's done. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's all about perspective and risk factors. Well, it is. And, and I mean, I, I agree. And also, I mean, this is one where I, I do, I always say, okay, you talk to your doctor and find out what your, your doctor says and then make your decisions. Now, it's easier for me, for example, than some of the people I know, because like I say, I don't, I have never had any significant adverse reactions to any of this. I, I got got the first two COVID, the shots, and I got one more, and then I think I got one more. I think I've had four total, and, and I've never had any notable reaction to it. I don't get a reaction from the flu shot. So it's easy for me. It's kind of like, well, 
I, and again, I don't, I'm old enough that I don't think I've done any sort of long-term damage to myself as a result of this. And so it's fine. I can have it in exercise of caution. Now, I do know people where it becomes a tougher call because they have adverse reactions to it. They do, in fact, get sick from either the flu shot or from the COVID shots. And, you know, then it really does become this kind of, all right, you know, balancing factor. If you say, look, I, I know I'm going to be really sick for a couple of days because I react to this type of stuff. Then you have to say, okay, what really is, is, does the advantages outweigh the fact that you know that you're going to have a reaction to it? That's not me because I don't, but I do know a number of people who do. And some of them are saying, well, we'll get the flu shot, but they're a little bit less likely to get the, the COVID shot. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to uh, John in Union Grove. Hi, John. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Uh, I used to take the uh, the flu vaccine, I think, a couple times before COVID. But once the COVID thing came out, and I never took even a booster or anything, or I don't even think I was tested for COVID. Um, but just kind of the misinformation with that and kind of, you know, after the fact, it kind of turned out to be not as effective as we thought. Um, I kind of since then, honestly, I haven't done the flu vaccine or anything. Mm-hmm. I take care of my health. I don't really worry about, quite frankly, either at this point. But, you know, kind of after everything came out with the COVID and what we were yeah. told versus what is actuality, you got to think is the same true for the flu vaccine. Is it worth my time? Yeah. I mean, and you've but you've had you've gotten flu shots in the past, though. That's what you said, right? Uh, when I was very young, my, okay. my mom made me. But since I was an adult or in college, I've never done that. Okay. And you're otherwise healthy. You see, it's not like you have any pre, you know, you're, you're not, if, if you would end up getting sick, you're not afraid that it's going to, the, the, uh, the typical case of the flu would, will put you in the in the morgue or the hospital or anything. No. Well, actually, with my prior, with my past, uh, as far as medical goes, I, I had uh, heart surgery when I was younger. So that was actually a big factor okay. going towards the covid vaccine if you remember the early reports on that yeah vaccine they were worried about the myocarditis or whatever it was yeah interesting no thanks to call um and it's interesting with our text our text line has exploded there's people all over the map jeff i'm a registered nurse after getting influenza once many years ago i will never miss the flu shot again it was wicked i think it's even more important to get it as i get older yeah the um and I guess when when I look at this, like I say, that's when the doctor outlined this to me. So, okay, you're due for this type of stuff. To me, the flu shot, for me, was a no-brainer. It was like, okay, I, I get this every year. And um, I, 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 to me, there's no real downside to it. I don't have adverse reactions. But I think, you know, the, the COVID moving forward, and I understand I got a couple of people who are very, very upset with me. Oh, you're, you're like Aaron Rodgers with this. No, I, I'm just saying that it's an individual decision that I think people have to make. And I got all my COVID shots. But at some point in time, you say, okay, am I going to continue doing this? Um, do I need to have this? Is there enough out there that I need this regimen that, you know, every six months or every year that I'm going to have to get it? And I, I haven't made that final decision yet. I wasn't like I'm not a COVID shot denier, for goodness sakes. And to me, again, since I don't have a reaction to the vaccines, it's easy. But I have seen people that do have reactions to those vaccines. And for them, it's a tougher question that's out there. And I'm not as willing to criticize those people as some other folks are. If if, again, you don't have a reaction to it and your doctor recommends it. Well, I mean, I always think it's a good idea to listen to the doctors. But I do think this is one of the things that because whether covid, whether the shots were over, the value of them was overpromised or the vaccines under delivered or whatever, I do think it's increased. It's resulted in some skepticism towards these other vaccines moving forward. And to me, I I think the vaccines, there's a reason for them. They do 
help. And if you don't have an adverse reaction, I mean, like I say, I'm probably going to end up, I'm probably going to end up getting the COVID shot at some point in time, but I wanted to give it a little bit of separation, even though they say you can get the COVID shot at the same time you get the flu shot, but you're all going to have to make these decisions coming up because, I mean, we're talking late October now, and that means it's cold and flu season. So figure out what you're going to do and then make your best decision. Talk to your doctors. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. A lot of interesting texts. Jeff, I got my flu shot on Monday. For 24 hours, I felt like I was run over by a truck, but then I was fine. I get one every year. I am, however, hesitant about getting my fifth COVID shot. Yeah, see, that's, and see, and that's where it's, I, I think it's playing out. And everybody, and I understand, and I'm hearing from some of you that, that suggest that, you know, anybody who's reluctant to keep getting the COVID shots must be a vaccine denier. And I think it's more complicated than that. It's just like, all right, you know, um, you, you've had many of these different shots over the years. And the question is, are you now going to be in a situation where this is what I'm going to do every year or twice a year or whatever? And, and where does that balancing come? And I understand there's some people who say, well, you know, if, if if they tell us we've got to get these shots, we're going to get all the shots. I think some people are starting to say, well, okay, maybe I want to do the balancing. For me, my advice is you talk to your doctor and then you end up making your decision. All right. Who could have foreseen this coming? General Motors, Cruise. You know what Cruise is? Cruise is the the, the driverless car. It's kind of like the robot cabs, you know, where it just you you know you, you summon one, it shows up, you tell it where it wants to go, and then it drives. Cruise pauses all driverless operations after California crackdown. Move is the latest setback for General Motors, which is contending with a labor strike and a slowdown in the demand for electric vehicles. Who would have seen that coming? Cruise, the self-driving car unit of General Motors, is suspending all its driverless operations across the U.S. after regulators in California said the vehicles aren't safe in public and pulled the company's self-driving permit. Um, yeah, well, I would think that that's the case. While I don't necessarily think that California should be the role model for how we do stuff, what happened is earlier this month, a woman was severely injured in California after she was struck by a vehicle and then landed in the path of a driverless cruise car. According to video footage, rescue workers lifted the car off the woman. Cruz said it is doing an analysis to identify potential enhancements to the response to this kind of incident. Um, yes, uh, NHTSA, the National Traffic Highways, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, opened a safety defect probe into norm into nearly 600 driverless cars operated by Cruz. Um, well, I guess. This is kind of my reaction to and I understand whenever we talk about this, I always hear, oh, you know, you're always against the new things and stuff like that. I freely admit I'm not an early adopter. But having said all that, I think I'm a long way off. It's it's one thing for those of you who want to buy electric vehicles. Now, that's not for me. But if you want to do it, OK, fine. And put up with all the stuff that you have to put up with, even if you get a seventy five hundred dollar tax break. That's OK. It's just that's not for me. Um, and I think reasonable people can perhaps disagree about that. But the idea of getting into a driverless car and heading down the street, take me home, especially with all the construction stuff around here, I'm a long ways away from that. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. 
Man, life is cheap on the mean streets of Milwaukee. And you know, we, we could talk about the, the horrible crimes that occur on a daily basis, and, and that could fill up the three-hour program. But every once in a while, there's one that just goes right through me. This happened a, a week ago today at 3.30 in the morning. There is this 54-year-old man who's working at a, at a clerk at a quick mart, you know, one of the convenience store gas station things, um, Appleton and Hampton Avenues. Now, I, I just one of the things that really strikes me about this is, as somebody who grew up around here, Hampton Avenue used to be a major east-west thoroughfare that people would take. If you grew up like I did on the North Shore and you had to go out to Wauwatosa or Brookfield or whatever, and you, Hampton was an alternative that you, you'd ride on. Nowadays, I, I think lots of people would think twice or three times before they, they go out with Hampton because while it's not as, while it's not as bad as Capitol, it, it's not great. But anyhow, 3.30 in the morning, there's this quick mart that's open there, Hap- Appleton and Hampton. 54-year-old guy is working at 3.30 a.m. What happens is a woman comes in and apparently um, starts, she steals a couple ice cream cones. Now, I don't know if they have a soft-serve machine that she makes them herself or whether she you know, goes into the freezer thing and takes takes out ice cream cones. But anyhow, um, apparently, according to the search warrant, um, woman goes in, grabs a bunch of ice cream cones, 3.30 in the morning, and starts heading out the door. So she's shoplifting. The clerk follows her out the store out of the store now again this is maybe you hear the story and say well you know you should just let her go but you know at some point in time it's like are we just going to turn over the the keys uh, and just allow people to steal everything so anyhow the guy follows her out i don't think there's a confrontation he follows her out and i guess there's a guy who's sitting in the car outside who rolls down his window and shoots shoots the clerk kills him Kills him dead on on the spot. There was no fighting. There was no struggling thing. It's just some some loser, you know, sitting in the passenger side of the car. And when she sees the clerk, he sees the clerk follow the the gal outside the building, the shoplifter out of the building. He shoots and murders the clerk in cold blood. Now my guess is, and so far I, I don't think they've made it. I know they've not haven't made any arrests. I'm not sure they have any suspects, but the whole thing is on video. So if, presumably you're going to have a picture of at least who the woman was. You're going to have at least maybe a license plate or something. So that there's the starter point. But I mean, you, my guess is once again when they identify who the passenger was, the shooter was, it's going to turn out to be some guy who probably has a lengthy criminal record probably a felon, probably shouldn't have guns, probably shouldn't have been out on the street, but was on the street. And as a result of that, as a result of the out-of-control crime in the city, somebody is dead, which makes you wonder, you know, in some of these neighborhoods, can businesses stay open overnight? The answer is probably no. Can businesses stay open after dark? The answer is probably no. Can businesses be open at all? And the answer is probably no. When we come back, some Halloween-related stuff in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Please stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Okay, I, I hope I am wrong, and I, I say that sincerely. hope I'm wrong. I, I think this could be a rough weekend for state of Wisconsin sports fans. All right, um, so... Wisconsin, the Badgers, play Ohio State tomorrow night. Ohio State, one of the top teams in the country. The, the line is 14 and a half. In other words, uh, the odds makers believe that Ohio State will win by more than two touchdowns. 
All right, Charlie. What are you, you you say no? You say do you think it's be closer? You you. Oh, I don't understand what the thumbs up means. Is it? Do you okay? Thumbs up. Do you think that that that's the right line? Do you think Ohio State's going to win by fourteen or more, or do you think that you? Oh, you think the Badgers are going to hold it closer? Okay. Well, I went to the Badgers Iowa game a couple weeks ago, and based on what I saw there, uh, there's nothing that suggests to me that the Badgers could stay with Ohio State. But I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope I'm wrong. And then, of course, you've got the Packers game that's coming up on Sunday. They are playing Minnesota. The Packers opened up as one-point favorites, and now, at least what I was just looking at, they're one-and-a-half-point underdogs. I, Again, I, I'm a huge Packers fan, and I hope I hope that the Packers can figure out a way to take care of business. But if I were a betting guy, and I'm not really a betting guy anymore, I, I, think, I'd, I think I'd be taking the Vikings and laying the one-and-a-half points. That's just kind of my sense. But I, again... You know, who who knows? And if you follow the NFL this year, you know, anything, absolutely anything can happen. But Ohio State, uh, two touchdown favorites, and the Vikings are slight favorites on the road. Um, it tells you that if you believe that people know anything about it, um, if you believe that they know anything about it, um, that's it. You know, one of our texters also pointing out, yes, the stock market's a bloodbath again today. Yeah, it's it's just been ugly. There's just no way, other way to put it. Um, the Dow Jones, which has been bad all week, not as bad as the NASDAQ. Dow Jones down 432 points. The NASDAQ is up slightly, but it's still in correction territory. Correction meaning it's 10% below where its high was. And uh, there doesn't appear to be any any end in sight. And, and that's the problem. And for people who are nearing retirement or whatever, and you're looking for some security, okay, maybe find fixed income, That that's tough as well, because interest rates continue to rise. And unless you're going to buy long-term bonds, if you're in bond funds and stuff, you get killed with that. So there, there's nowhere to go right now, other than just simply ride it out and say, this too shall pass. All right. I have talked about this over the years, and I think it's a really, really interesting Halloween topic. Would you buy a haunted house? Or would you buy a house that had a reputation for being haunted? Now, here's the the interesting thing. There are only four states, New York State, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Minnesota. Those are the only four states where if a house has reports of paranormal activity, it must be disclosed. You know, when if you ever go to sell a house, you have to disclose, you know, defects. That there, There's a form that you fill out, like this, does the basement leak and things like that? Does the roof leak? You know, are there known defects? You have an obligation to disclose those. In those four states, if the house has paranormal activity, if it's a quote-unquote haunted house, you have an obligation to disclose it. In the other 46 states, the way it works is real estate agents are not allowed to lie about it. In other words, if somebody says, is this a haunted house? You can't say, no, 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 no. But but you don't have to affirmatively disclose it. And so it, it creates, there's a big story in the Wall Street Journal, selling a haunted house that's between you and the ghosts. And it, it goes on to talk about these people who didn't live in one of these various states who bought these houses. And, um, well, I mean, I don't know if you believe in haunted houses or not, but they bought these houses. The houses had a reputation of being haunted. And then all sorts of stuff happened afterwards. 
and they, they weren't able to get out of their contracts because they didn't specifically ask, is this is this house haunted? Which I, I will admit, I've, um, I mean, I'm trying to think. I've bought, I've purchased, I mean, I've, I've purchased a handful of, of houses. I mean, I, I mean, I haven't lived in lots of houses, but we bought the house in Whitefish Bay. I bought the condo where I live now, bought the condo in Florida. And I have to tell you, it has never occurred to me as we're in the process of discussing, you know, I might have asked, hey, what year is the furnace, what, what year is the furnace put in? And, you know, does this leak or what about this? Or, you know, let's have the radon test. I confess, I have never asked whether or not, hey, is this house haunted or not? And so I, I wouldn't have known about that beforehand. And if, again, if there's reports of that, they can't lie to you. Our number is 855-616-1620. What a perfect topic for the weekend before Halloween. Would you have any hesitation about buying a house that is, quote, unquote, rumored to be haunted? 855-616-1620. You find this great house and you say, boy, this is just absolutely perfect. But you notice that all the people are kind of looking at this because, I don't know, it was the one where, you know, a 100 years ago the guy came home and killed his wife and killed his family or whatever. And there's rumors that, you know, his ghost or her ghost still walks the halls. Would you be reluctant to buy a house that has a reputation of being haunted? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Spooky, scary skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your souls. Okay. You can tell it's Halloween. All right. Um, Straight in the Wall Street Journal. Haunted houses. There's only four states where if there are reports of paranormal activity before you can sell a house it has to be disclosed just like you have to disclose if uh, if the basement leaks or things like that um otherwise if you otherwise the sellers the real estate agents etc don't have an obligation to disclose this unless they're specifically asked if you walk in and say is this a haunted house or is a reputation and you know it you, you have to say yes all right, would you buy would you buy a haunted house? Jeff, the haunted property claim does not seem to hurt the Fister Hotels business. You know, there's a reputation, there's a ghost. Well, okay, it's one thing it might be clever to stay in a hotel where there's a rumor that there's ghosts. It's another thing to buy that house. Um, Jeff, honestly, I would have to pray about it and get a very good feeling after that prayer. Otherwise, um no way. Um, Jeff, I have infrared cameras in my house that often capture inexplicable floating, dancing, faint orbs when no one's home and heating, cooling isn't operating. So I'm wondering if my house is haunted. I, I look, I, I take, you know, I, I take no position on any of, of this a, at all, other than to say, other than to say, um, if, if this is the neighborhood haunted house, I don't want any part of it. That's just me. Now, you might be rolling your eyes and saying, Jeff, there's no such thing as paranormal activity. There's no such thing as ghosts. And you may very well be right. But, you know, I don't want to be home at 2 o'clock in the morning. I just I don't want to find out if if maybe you're wrong. Um, Dave Nason, our, our Mr. Fix-It guy, um, just an FYI, in Wisconsin, inspecting for haunting is beyond our operating procedure for a home inspection. Well, yeah, um, there there we, we would have that there. Jeff, I bought a haunted house in Michigan. Non-disclosed. Contractors will not complete work. They even leave tools behind. Jeff, when my wife and I were house hunting for our first house, one of the requirements I gave to our realtor was that no one died in it. I'd ask as we walked up to each house, somebody die in here? My wife smacked me in the shoulder each time and rolled her eyes. 
My wife smacks me in the shoulder and rolls her eyes at me all the time, too. Um, <laughs> not necessarily because of that, because of other things. Um, <laughs> 855-616-1620. Let's start with Heidi in Pewaukee. Heidi, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Okay. Would you buy a haunted house? Absolutely not. And it was actually uh, something that my realtor knew that I, if I had a creepy feeling about the basement or the attic or any part of the house, we were not going to buy it. Um, and so that was something that uh, she was supportive of. <laughs> well, I mean, I, the, the, the question too, Heidi, is sometimes people ask me, I mean, well, what does it mean? Do you want a house that nobody died? And well, I lived in a house that was over 100 years old. I, I don't know what the history is. Somebody might have died peacefully in their bed. I don't think that that would have bothered me. But if if, if there were reports that, oh, there's – that people report seeing ghosts or weird stuff. I just, I just don't want to deal with that. I guess I don't, I don't want to live in a Beetlejuice house. <laughs> I uh, actually researched when we actually liked some of the houses. I would start to research some of the history of the house just to make sure that nobody died. But I, the onus was on me. We never asked uh, the owners of the house if anybody died. Yeah. But uh, definitely did a little research myself yeah no i i get it no thanks to call i I, i've told this story before i have a a a friend um she's she's now married but back her first house uh that that she had saved up and and bought and purchased uh there was it was really weird because she noticed you know when she moved in she'd be sitting on the front porch and all the the neighbors would kind of look at the house and kind of whisper and stuff and it was she'd been in there a few months before she found out that one of the recent owners had like killed himself in the, the bedroom, the closet of what was her bedroom, and it. it, it she ended up selling the place. It, it, it freaked her out, and I, I can kind of, I can, and I don't know why. Look, I, I understand. I'm getting texts from people who say, "Oh, there's no such thing as ghosts. There's no such thing as paranormal activity. People are nuts if they think that." And I, I respect that particular position, and that's why maybe that house is, you know, maybe get a deal on that house because there's some of us who just don't want it. Eric in Milwaukee. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, my my parents bought a house uh, where where the the previous owner died in, in, on the kitchen floor. The realtor told them that he was working in the garden, came in the house, had a heart attack, and on the kitchen floor. Um, that did not deter them from purchasing the home. Um, but after that, we had many strange little occurrences happening, yeah. some of which are still happening to this day. Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, mo- most notice, I, I mean, my, both my brother and I were, were small children. I was five. He was three. But we we both remember a lot of these things. Um, lights would turn on and off. We'd be playing outside in the yard with my mother. It would start getting dark out. We'd come in the house, and the lights were already turned on. Yeah. She definitely didn't turn them on before we left. Um, we we heard um, footsteps. My my brother's bedroom was uh, there was a gar- uh, attic space with access from the garage, and at night he heard people walking around up in the attic. My my mother slept in the room one night. She heard she heard the footsteps in the attic above that bedroom. That was uh, affectionately known as the Big Brothers in the Attic. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, the, 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 the best, the best one was, um, one, one day my mother went in the basement and, and there was in the, the back corner of the basement was writing on the wall. I was here. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> now, now, both my brother and I were too young to, to write anything. Um, we had friends yeah. and family. She questioned them later on. Uh, you know, they they never didn't know anything about it. Yeah. I, I never recalled seeing it. Um, and then my mother painted the basement. Um, and she, she went all the way around the basement and ran out in that corner. I yeah. do remember that. Yeah. No, hey, thanks. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I want to get a couple of calls, but yeah, that, that's just, it, that, it, it's that kind of freaky stuff. Now, somebody, I, somebody asks the question, what if somebody was murdered in the house? I, I, I want no part of a murder house. I just, I, I, I don't. And my producers are both dead. I, I, and look, and I, it could be the greatest house and it could be, I just start, I want no part I want no part of a murder house. Somebody dying peacefully in their sleep at the age of 85, you know, that, that's a whole different sort of story. But no, I, I, I don't want a home invasion and, and people, I, I don't want an in cold blood house. I don't want the OJ. I just, I don't want that. I don't want the, they, they tore down the Charles Manson, you know, the place where Sharon Tate was killed. I, I don't want those houses. No, that's sorry. I just, and I understand it might, it just might be me. Now, a couple of people are saying if you can get a good deal on it. Well, that's the other factor. I mean, it's, it's not going to be for everyone. So I appreciate it. if you don't mind these kind of things and you think people who are uncomfortable about that and so it's haunted, whatever, all right, you're going to be able to get a good deal. You're going to get a better deal because not everybody's going to be willing to buy it. But no, um, for me, it just if you're out there house hunting, just one of those other things to put on your list. If you're concerned about this, just so you know, they do not have to disclose if there's reported paranormal um, activity going on. So if it's something that bothers you, just say, hey, anybody ever killed in the living room? Something like that. And then you can move on from there. See, this is what you talk about on Halloween on The Wagner Show. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Okay, this is another one of those moments where my producers make me feel old. So Aaron and uh, Samantha, Richard Roundtree. Do you know who Richard Roundtree is? Okay, either one of you, Richard Roundtree? No, I'm just getting up. Oh, no, nobody has any clue who Richard Roundtree is. Well, all right, this is another deal. Richard Roundtree, who passed away at the age of 81 earlier this week, and I just wanted to mention this. Richard Roundtree was the, the star of the movie Shaft. And Shaft came out in, in 1971 and was one of the very first of, of what became known as the black exploitation black exploitation movies. Um, made him a huge movie star. It, it he he played. There was the, the movie actually won an Oscar for Isaac Hayes for the the music, the Shaft music. But it was it was this movie that portrayed um, Richard Roundtree played the character was John Shaft. He was a private detective who um, it was sort of like a black version of James Bond, but without the spy gadgetry and stuff and a more, you know, a, a grittier sort of thing. But it was a huge, huge success. Went on to, um, he, he did, he, I think he reprised the role two or three more times. But it started this whole genre of of movies um, in the 70s where you, you had, again, the, the, the black characters that were portrayed in many respects, like the white characters have been portrayed in the movie history. So it was, and, and to this day, Shaft remains a really, really good movie. It's kind of like a time capsule. 
It's sort of dated because, I mean, it screams 1970. In some respects, it reminds me of, of Dirty Harry in a way, which I think was 1973 or two or three or whatever. That it's 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 dated in some respects because you look at the clothing, you look at you know what's going on and the payphones and things like that. But it, it's again, it's an example. It really captured a moment in time. And in the case of the movie Shaft, which you know doesn't have the success unless you got Richard Roundtree in it. Um, it was his first acting role. So, I mean, you talk about somebody who who hit it big. It's like Peter O'Toole. His first role was in Lawrence of Arabia. That was his first movie role. Richard Roundtree, his first movie was Shaft, and it became just a huge hit. And he went on to have a, a very, I mean, like over a thousand movie credits and stuff like that. But for his entire life, whenever he saw Richard Roundtree, he was always going to be John Shaft. That That's how powerful that movie was. He passed away at the age of 81. If you're looking for, again, a time capsule movie and you can find it streaming somewhere, do. It'll, it'll just, it'll take you back to that moment in time. John Shaft. When we come back, it is that time of the week. Pop Culture Corner, right around the corner. Gather round all. It's time for Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Time to put aside the heavy lifting and have a good time at the old National Bank Talkin' Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's Jeff Wagner. Lots of people are reacting to the, to, still reacting to the would you buy a murder house um, conversation and you know, people are giving me examples of, yeah, that's, yeah, they, they bought the house or, or whatever. And I, I get it. It doesn't bother some people. I had, I wasn't going to tell the story, but what the heck. I have a friend who back when we were in high school, his uncle committed suicide. And he did it by going into the garage, you know, turning on the car and, you know, you know that, that thing. So this is his uncle. He committed suicide. Three weeks later, my buddy is driving the car because it was a nice car. He got the deal. So he's driving the car. It's not funny, but it kind of was. And he's driving the car that his uncle killed himself in. And he, it was, he said, well, I got a good deal. You know, it was a good car and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, I don't think that that's what I'm going to end up doing. Okay. This is like the big voice guy says. It's Pop Culture Corner. It's brought to you by Palermo's Pizza every week in the exclusive discretion of my producers. In this case, it's going to be Aaron who makes the decision. A one-caller wins our Palermo's Pizza prize package, which is good for a coupon for two Palermo's pizzas, frozen pizzas, and a pizza cutter, and some other stuff as well that comes with the bag. So that's to one of the callers. Um, Sometimes we talk about books, sometimes food, sometimes travel, sometimes sports. Uh, Today, and I know we did this about two months ago in anticipation of the season, but there's no question. There's only one pop culture corner that we can discuss today, topic for pop culture corner, And that is, since it is Halloween this weekend, since you cannot turn on the television without seeing channel after channel after channel that is streaming horror movies, horror movies from the 40s, horror movies from the 50s, horror movies from um, a couple weeks ago. If you go to the movie theaters this weekend, you will have no chance. You will not. You'll you will certainly have plenty of choices to go and see scary movies. Now, I fully admit that this this genre of movies, I just, a little bit of scary movies go a long way with me. But I've nevertheless I've seen a lot of them. I just maybe it has to do with the idea that I probably wouldn't buy a haunted forget that I, I 
forget probably, that I would not be in the interest of buying a haunted house. I typically don't go to scary movies, but every once in a while I get sucked in, I watch them, and then, you know, I'm up for like three days consecutively. Pop Culture Corner this week, our number 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, you're home alone. It's a cold, windy, rainy Saturday night, like tomorrow is going to be. All right, you sit down, you start to watch a movie, and for whatever reason, you decide that you want to scare the bejeebers out of yourself. What movie are you going to fire up? That movie that is just going to terrorize you, that is going to haunt you moving forward, that at 3 in the morning will cause you to wake up and say, what the hell did I do? Why did I watch it? 855-616-1620, the movie that scares the stuffing out of you. Back with more in just a minute. We're here to take your calls. This is Jeff Wagner. It's pop culture time. Now back to take your calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Okay, it's that weekend. Tomorrow night's going to be cold. It's rainy. You're by yourself. You turn off all the lights and you decide, hey, I want to celebrate Halloween the only way possible. I want to scare the stuffing out of myself. What is the movie that you put on the television? Let's start with Steve in Caledonia. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. How you doing, Jeff? Thanks Good. for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Uh, the one that scares the heck out of me the most is the original Night Stalker, the movie, right. which was the pilot of that series. Right, with Darren McGavin. With Darren McGavin. Right, yeah. Yep, yep. That's. Um, so this, I watched it the other night. It's hard to find. I found it on YouTube, actually, and I watched it. Yeah, that's there. Well, and, yeah, no, it it got it. Thanks to call. No, it it definitely. I remember that, and of course that that was you know Darren McGavern played the who was the the father in a Christmas story. You know, he played the um, he played a reporter that was on was trying to track down these murders and stuff, and it turns out that there was a vampire that was doing it. Very very creepy, no question about it. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Denise in Hales Corners. Denise, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah. Scariest movie. Okay, you you really want to scare yourself tomorrow night. The Exorcist. Yeah. That is the ultimate scariest movie I've ever seen, and I was just able to watch it by myself about a year ago. Right. Otherwise, I could have never watched it. And they got the new one out, which is actually very good. I just saw that the other night. The, Isn't that just scary? Especially when she turned her head all the way around, that freaked me out. <laughs> oh, yeah, it freaked her. Denise, are you old enough to remember when The Exorcist first came out? I want to say it was like 73 or something like that. Were you were you old enough to remember when it was first in movie theaters? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I said I just watched it for the first time by myself a year ago. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, thanks. There, there's no question about it. That was one where, um, it, and it's, of course, it, it's just, it's, it's its 50th anniversary, I think, 50th years, but, uh, either maybe the last year or this year, whatever, but it's impossible to describe the phenomena. When that movie first came out, there were lines all the way around blocks, all around the country, and there were all these reports of exorcisms and demonic possession and things like that. It was a movie that just, 
captivated and captured the American public in so many ways. If if you go to Washington, D.C. to this day, you go to Georgetown, and there's they call them the exorcist steps. They were used, it, it's the steps that were used when they were filming a couple scenes in the movie, and, and they're still there. And it, it's one of the things that tourists, you know, go to all the time. And if if you haven't seen them, I, I'd encourage you to go go do it because it's just it looks just like it appeared in the movies and things like that. So just um, it was just incredible. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, for me, it's the original Omen. Yeah, that's when Cary uh, Grant I think was in that movie with uh, um, or Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck, I think. Uh, the Omen, where where Damien made his first debut. Jeff, the original Candyman. It's storytelling, the urban setting, and the the, uh, cinematic uh, cinematography, absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's um, matter of fact. I'm I'm looking at a list of a list of the top twenty five scariest movies of all time, and that's 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 one of them that's on there. It's uh, you you have Candyman is a guy who can be summoned by saying his name five times into the mirror. Trust me, you don't want to end up doing that, but that's where that goes. 855-616-1620. Jeff, for me, it's the original Psycho um, with Alfred Hitchcock. And, of course, it's the, the, that's, of course, the famous shower scene, which comes about a third of the way through the movie. Um, I remember when I first saw Psycho, you know, I saw it on TV. Man, it scared me. Jeff, for me, it's any horror movie that involves clowns or puppets. Jeff, scariest movie of all time, hands down, it is The Exorcist. Um, uh, Jeff, uh, movies don't scare me anymore, but when I was a kid, Nightmare on Elm Street scared the you-know-what out of me. I didn't sleep at night for months. As a as an adult, I refused to buy a house on Elm Street, even though it was a good price. Um, yeah, there you go. It, you've got that... Uh, Got that down. Uh, Phantasm. Yeah, Phantasm is a little known, little known movie. But um, again, that's any movie set in a funeral home has got to just scare the heck out of you. Jeff, scariest movie I ever saw was Bram Stoker's Dracula, nineteen ninety two, starring Gary Oldman, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, that's a it's a very very good one. Jeff, my favorite horror film is John Carpenter's remake of The Thing. I think it's one of the genres best. I also think the original Thing is very very good as well. Jeff, for me, it's The Shining. Too creepy, uh, not overly gory. It's my go to. The original Halloween is a very close second. I saw. The original Halloween, when it came out as well. I remember being in the movie theater. Um, I, I remember the, the date I had, and it just there, there were that was that was before the whole slasher film genre had had taken over. Um, Jeff, no question at all for me. It's the original Exorcist with Linda Blair. Uh, a couple people mentioning the Omen as well. Um, interesting. A number of people are mentioning American Werewolf in London. That's I watched that the other night, and. It's really, that to me, it's a really, really interesting movie because on the one hand, it's it's scary and it's graphic. Um, on the other hand, it's got great music in this, all sorts of moon songs, and it's got some funny lines in it, too. And the gal that plays the, the English nurse, I, I mean, I had a crush on her for the longest time. Let's talk to Margaret in Oak Creek. Margaret, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Scariest movie. You, if How you, you want to freak your, I'm doing well. You want to freak yourself out tomorrow night? What movie are you watching? The Birds. Okay, Alfred Hitchcock. That, yeah, I, I was 
I probably watched it when I was way, way too young, and it stayed with me for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the like the the woman who's in the phone booth and the birds are attacking and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And it's why are and they the doing kids it? Kids are running down the street. Yeah. Yeah, though there, there's um, thanks for there's there's no question. I mean, Hitchcock was great at doing that, and I, I think you know the birds was his follow up to Psycho. There might have been a movie in between there, but there's there's no question it gets your attention. All right, let's go back in time. Jody in Waukesha. Jody, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Jody. Okay, you want to scare yourself Hi. tomorrow night? What movies is going to be? Creature from the Black Lagoon. Okay, tell me why. Well, when I watched it, I was a kid. And it was at night, and the the creature itself just totally creeped me out. And then when he was in the the lagoon, the lagoon it was dark, it was black, and it just scared the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, it still will. It still will. I, you know, Jody. Thank, I remember. Thanks for. I, I remember. I had a I had a friend growing up. I'm in high school. Or maybe maybe we were in middle school. At a friend growing up, and his church youth group, they used to have these Friday night movies. It was like, like a raise, way of raising money, and it was like fifty cents a piece or whatever. And and they do it in the basement of the church. That's where they showed Creature from the Black Lagoon. I remember seeing Creature from the Black Lagoon the first time, sitting in the basement of this church in Fox Point. You know, watching this, thinking, "Huh, this is kind of an interesting choice for that." Okay, a couple people are mentioning now. If you were to ask me. A really terrifying one. Um, I would say Night of the Living Dead, the first couple minutes with the zombies in the graveyard. Oh, my God. It that To this day, that one haunts me. Now, one of our textures says it's the return of the living dead, which is the, the follow-up. To me, that's the scariest movie. Unlike Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead is scarier because the zombies can talk. Uh, yeah, it's... I, I, Either one. You can go either way and you can probably you can go either way and you can probably um be right. Jeff, I love scary movies. Some of my favorites are Alien, yeah, the original Alien. If you haven't seen it, you guys seen Alien? Okay, then I'm not going to uh, Samantha has um Aaron has it. There there is a scene, there is a scene in Alien and everybody that's seen it knows what I'm talking about. It haunts you. You know, once you see it, you cannot unsee it. There's just no question about it. Uh, get out and a quiet place. Um, right. That's those are two of the newer ones. But right. I think that there's um, incredibly scary as well. OK, let's talk to um, Dave and Racine. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Greetings, Jeff. Uh, my uh, scariest movie was the original Jaws, 1975 Steven Spielberg movie. I mean, from. The point where the character Christy gets killed to, you know, the guys with the, trying to catch the shark with the holiday roast on a shark hook with a, attached to a chain to a dock and the guy having to try to swim for his life before, you know, all you have is the dock, piece of dock that comes, comes back. And even because you, you didn't see the shark until way into the movie and then, yeah, you know, that scene with Roy Scheider with the dumping the chum in and the yep. no, Dave, you're right. Yeah, you're going to need a bigger boat when that when that shark first comes out of the water and you see it. There's everybody is jumping, no question about it. Dave, thanks. Um, and you are you are our winner. So thank you for participating and enjoy the Palermo's pizzas on us. Yeah, I guess 
look, and, and people are all over the map. Some of the newer movies are incredibly as well. Jeff, The Exorcist, my mom wouldn't let me see it. I was 12. I kept begging for her to do it. She finally gave in. I had to sleep with my sister for a month. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of, um, you know, that's kind of it. Uh, no question about it. Jeff, fun fact, the Milwaukee Opera Theater is producing the world premiere of Night of the Living Dead Opera. Night of the Living Opera tonight runs until November 5th, complete with zombies. Check us out. It will not disappoint. Um, yes, there's no question about that. Um, I love watching The Sixth Sense with someone who has never seen it. Yeah, that's part of the thing with these movies that have the surprises. They are wonderful as well. Um, no, um, right You've got uh, Carrie. Yeah, Carrie, the original Carrie, John Travolta and Sissy Spacek. That's it's a slow burn. It takes a while. But the the end of that is incredibly creepy as well. Jeff is a kid. Children of the corn. Very scary. As an adult, I think it's really, really dumb. Well, I understand. To me, Salem's Lot, another one. Yeah, there's all these great movies that are out there as as well. So. Um, oh, Blair Witch Project. I remember Blair Witch Project just kind of took over the country and everybody was convinced that there were witches in the woods. Well, maybe they are. I don't want to buy a haunted house. What can you say? All right, that's it for Pop Culture Corner for this week. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.